Welcome to the By the Hood podcast. Before we jump into this episode, just wanted to make you aware that on our website, bythehood.com, we have a free webinar on an intro to the stock market. So please go check it out. Just go to bythehood.com and you'll get the free intro to the stock market webinar. Take it easy and enjoy this episode. What's up, people? Welcome to this episode of the Buy the Hood podcast or webcast, because I don't know how you're consuming this content. I'm your host, as always. My name is Jimmy. And as we start off every show, that's with gratitude. Just want to say thank you to everyone and anyone who supports anything that we've got going on. Special shout out to all the students from Buy the Hood University, as well as the youth from our Buy the Hood ownership camp. Salute to all of you. And, you know, just say thank you to anyone who supports anything that we do. Uh, my partner, Crown Corey, isn't with me today. He actually is um, working one-on-one with some young students right now. But as you know, our platform is designed to highlight brothers and sisters who are doing amazing work. They're putting out positive energy. They're doing things to help the community and building businesses. And this brother right here that, um, that we're bringing on, um, he's doing exactly that. Like We spoke on a panel recently, and I was impressed by his story, and I definitely wanted to have him on the podcast to share his story. Without further ado, I want to introduce the good brother, Kevin Dulce. Kevin Dulce, how are you, good brother? Hey, how's it going, everybody? Thanks, Jimmy, for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, absolutely, man. Like your story is very inspiring, man. Um, so let's just jump right into it. Let's talk about your background and everything that you got going on before we talk about your current businesses. Where are you originally from? Um, so I was born in Brooklyn, New York. I can't claim New York like I was born in New York because I was raised in Philly. So I'm definitely a uh, born in New York, but raised in Philly. I spent most of my life in, in Philadelphia. I came over here when I was about one years old. So um, even though I have a ton of family back in New York and I'm always in and out of New York, um, spent some of my life in New York as well, just working over there, going to school over there. So, um, you know, it was it was it was very insightful. I love I love the city. I love big cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philly, Philly is where I call my home. OK, so what's, what schools in Philadelphia like when you were younger? What uh, what kind of student were you in? What uh, high schools did you go to? Oh, man. Super transparency. So. Uh, I went to three high schools. Okay. Really? Uh, the first high school I went to, I went to um, Multicultural Charter School Academy. It was right off of Broad Street, mm-hmm. uh, Ice Town. My first time going there, it was like, it was a prep school in a sense. We had to wear blazers and, and um, shirts, ties, pants. The principal at the time, he was super strict. He was like, your, your pants need to be about an inch and a half above your shoes. Um, so that was kind of detrimental to me jumping on a bus and going to school in the morning because we in the heart of North Philly. So yeah. I see you walking around with high waters and shoes on, they, they giving you hell. So, you know, I went through that for a bit. I didn't last long there because, uh, I didn't want to be there. They didn't have any sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, when my parents brought me over there, I was like, Hey, like, I don't want to be here. So I did everything possible. Um, to not be there and the end result of that was you know them telling me I either needed to withdraw or get expelled so of course we went the withdrawal route uh, and I ended up going to Bishop McDevitt charter uh, Bishop McDevitt uh, Catholic high school school, yeah in in Winco PA right in Shellingham I spent a year there and then I went over to multicultural charters, not multicultural, um, new media technology uh, charter school where I graduated from and got my um, high school diploma. 
From there, I went over to East Stroudsburg University, home of the Warriors, up in the Poconos, as we call it, the Harvard of the Poconos. <laughs> so I went there. Uh, I got my degree in uh, biology with a minor in business. So I was gonna, I was going to uh, pursue uh, a life of being a doctor, a pediatric neurosurgeon. Uh, at the time, I took my MCAT which everybody knows that's what you need to take to get into med school. Mm -hmm. uh, I got a 27 on my MCAT, which I needed a 30 to get into med school in the U.S. I did get into one med school in the U.S. Um, PCOM right outside of Philly. I was the only one. And then uh, everything else was in the Caribbean. Okay. I was going to do a post back, but, you know, I decided this isn't the route that I want to go. Uh, I want to go the business route. So, you know, I took my GMAT. And then I ended up going to NYU Stern School of Business mm -hmm. um, for about a year. And then my dad had a stroke, so came back over to uh, Philadelphia um, and literally just been, you know, pursuing, you know, the entrepreneurial life uh, from that point. But I did have a lot of high corporate positions with different companies uh, where I served as VP, intern president, um, led all business development strategy and investor relations for them. Yeah, so um, interesting thing I want to ask you about your story. If I remember correctly, you did say you were first generation, right? Um, yes, I am. So, um, <laughs> so my question to you is about to be this because we've had people who are first generation. They always talk about the pressure to be a doctor, engineer, you know, that whole thing. And so, was that part of your story too? That is definitely part of my story. You're going to be three things when you're first generation. If you are a child of an immigrant, you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, or engineer. That's it. And, you know, uh, nurses, honorable mention, but yeah, know, that's what they, that's what their upbringing uh, was, you know, coming from a different country and it's like, oh, well, you're successful if you're there's these three things in the U.S. So, you know, that's what they pressured us to do. <clears throat> I mean, every single person who's first generation, there hasn't been one person that we're on episode like one, almost close to 150. And there hasn't been one person who's first generation who didn't wow. have the same story. That's very consistent. That's why I wanted to ask that question. Okay, so um, now, and I also, you know, part of your story I remember is that, um, you know, you've been making six figures a long time. So for you to take the entrepreneurial route, what kind of journey was that? Because, you know, it's, it's not like you didn't have success in the jobs that you chose. You had yeah. a certain level of success. I've been making six figures since I was 22 years old. Man. Um, so fresh out of college, I went up to Stanford, Connecticut. I was working out in Stanford, Connecticut, and then I took doing an externship. Um, mm -hmm. And then I took a position at Marcus Evans, which is a global um, marketing firm, as you would call it, like a glorified marketing firm. Uh, what they did was they hosted summits, mm -hmm. um, summits and trade shows. But I didn't work on the trade show part of things. I worked on the uh, summit part of things. <clears throat> so we were working with different CEOs of large companies. So I always had access to those CEOs. I learned how to get through like the gatekeeper because it was more of a sales role at the time. Um, and this is what I tell people. Whenever you're going the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial route, mm -hmm. I feel like having some sort of sales background in any capacity is always going to be so beneficial for you because you're really learning the aspects and the ins and outs of, you know, how businesses work, how to actually pitch and talk to CEOs and get your brand out. Because me having that sales background in the beginning allowed me to, you know, articulate the way that my company is being viewed to to different people, to to the consumer, to my customers. Um, so I was I, I got promoted 
over there a few times um, and ended up being GM. And okay. then there, as like, I was in school at the same time, but from there, after my dad had a stroke, I came to Philly. I took some VP roles of business development. Uh, and then my last role, <clears throat> my last role, I was uh, VP of strategic partnerships for a company out in Harrisburg, which actually outsourced and outsourced me to a company uh, whose valuation right now is $5 billion. Mm -hmm. uh, company, uh, maybe you guys are familiar with it. And I don't mind saying it called Triller. Uh, so yeah. Triller right now hosts the verses. You have Timberland and um, Swiss Beats who have ownership in it. And they give all their artists, you know, the platform to um, grow out, you know, and have ownership within the organization. So mm -hmm. I was on the the relations and strategic partnership side of that. You know, was, we were having meetings with, you know, Beats by Dre, Hulu, HBO, um, just different brands, Doritos, Bang Energy. Um, mm -hmm. and those meetings so that they can come in and be sponsors. And then we were dealing directly with the artists uh, and then the, the labels as well, where we had Sony, Warner Brother, um, <clears throat> Capital. So we were dealing with them, all their contracts and everything like that. Uh, so my main role there was to bring in other investors um, and also bring on different brands that we could collaborate with and do uh, activations with that can help grow out there their numbers, whether it's on social media, Instagram, um, you, uh, Snapchat, Facebook, or whatever the case may be to help grow out their brands. Because the way of the future right now, which everybody sees is everybody's making a ton of money off of social media. So that was really the platform's main initiative to really just grow out that through social media with different brand activations for um, different companies. I have a couple questions based on that, right? So mm -hmm. it took me a couple of years to make six figures. I didn't make it at 22. So that's that's a unique thing for you to, you know, do that that young. But in retrospect, I'm kind of glad I didn't because I could have, I'm thinking about 21, 22 year old me and I probably, it probably would have caused me more harm than good. Um, so I want to know, like, how did you manage that? Like, what was that like for you? Were you disciplined that young or did you, you know, or did you go through what I think I would have went through? <coughs> I was not disciplined that young. <laughs> making six figures in new york at 22 years old is a different life i was in the club i was buying bottles we had ten thousand dollar nights where we were just blowing money with my friends it was absolutely ridiculous i remember we went to uh what was it one oak on a tuesday it was packed in there and the bill came out it was ten thousand dollars and then 20 percent gratuity on that so we ended up paying twelve thousand dollars and some change um but you know it it, I was not disciplined. I was messing up a lot of money. And if I would have kept all the money that I had then, I know I would probably be upwards of, with the knowledge that I have now, upwards of at least 50 million. Okay. All right. So, so, all right. It wasn't just my thought. You actually um lived out what I think would have. <laughs> okay. Got you. All right. All right. So that's the, that's the first thing. The second thing is um with that level of success in the corporate world, uh, what made you go uh, go to the entrepreneurial route? And the reason I ask that is because I know that most people, um, if they have that level of success, a lot of people I know who are entrepreneurs, they didn't have that level of success in the corporate world, which is why they said, I got to start my own. Um, for you, you had the success. So what is it that made you take that step? <sighs> All right. So it's a few factors, right? So some people that you talk to, they may have the experience of, you know, not being too successful within the corporate world or their job that they're working, or they just want more money, which mm -hmm. everybody, wants, everybody wants more money. 
I think my background and the individuals who I was always around, there was always a bigger picture, right? So when you're dealing with um, <clears throat> graduates from Ivy League schools or the top 10, 15, you know, um, top 10 or 15 universities in the country, their main objective is to get a job, take the knowledge that they that they need to learn, and then start their own business. A lot of them, or they're getting pulled from their companies to go start in a startup. The reason why I left corporate America is because I felt like a number. I didn't want anybody controlling my income, right? Because at any given moment, moment, if I didn't meet, you know, do meet certain deadlines or whatever the case may be, I could have been on the chopping block, you know. And I didn't want to feel that way. I, I felt like there was a lot of stress on me at that time for something that I didn't own. I rather, I rather the stress that my business gives me on a daily basis than the stress that somebody else's business gives me and I don't have ownership in it. Got you. Got you. That makes perfect sense. So with that being said, though, um, I do have another question for you based on your experience in corporate America, which is what do you think is the biggest lesson that you took from your time in corporate America that still serves you right now as a business owner? Learning how to operate the business correctly, right? And making all the right connections and learning how to network. When they say your network is your net worth, mm -hmm. I've literally gotten, and Jimmy, you'll understand this very well. Um, because of your income, you're not privy to certain information where, mm -hmm. let's talk about IPOs. You won't be yeah. invited to, to go into IPO because you don't have that, that income right? Mm -hmm. um, in the beginning, and I wish I would have jumped into this, Square had an IPO. If you're familiar with Square, Square is Cash App and, you know, now, now uh, Block, right? Yep. So when Square had its IPO, the buy-in was $25,000. I was invited to that. Usually when you're jumping into um, pre-IPO deals like that, they're asking for $150,000 at the minimum, mm -hmm. $300,000. They started off at 25,000. You know who missed that? I did. <laughs> and now Square has a multi-billion dollar valuation. I don't even um, want to ask you what that will be worth right now. Um, you know. Listen, so check this out. Right now I'd probably be worth a, about $100 million. So when I was working for Triller, um, the company that I was consulted through, and this is a hurt piece for me, and I don't mind talking about it now, but you know, I'm over it. Um, when I initially came into that company, I was offered uh, 5% of true stock and ownership. 5% at $5 billion valuation, I'm good. Yes. <laughs> I'm very, very good. Absolutely. At that time, I wasn't educated enough to know that nobody's really getting 5%. Even the GM and the president isn't getting 5% of the company. It's just not, it's not how it works. Mm -hmm. uh, you learn with investments as well. When people are coming into these startup companies, the only person that's giving a million dollars in terms of investment dollars is somebody worth a hundred million, right? People don't know that. Like, um, I got one of my good friends who's a who's a soccer player right now. He came in and he invested about three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Mind you, he's a multi multi millionaire. Mm -hmm over and over and over again, but he was able to do that, because, excuse me, because of his network. Now, if Steph Curry or LeBron came in, they're going to give a million dollars because that's easy. That's chunk change to them. Yeah. Right. And then they'll be able to take that million dollars, 10 X that. And now they've done made $40 million off of that. Yeah. Right? So, 
Yeah, so that that's that's important. So you know, it's it's about not just the um, it's information, but also relationships, right? And I can attest to that because I, we we talk a lot of times about one of the assets that no one ever talks about is relationships. I look at relationships as an asset class almost because I've had relationships that got me in the rooms that even money couldn't. Sometimes relationships exactly. will get you further than money, you know. Mm -hmm. So so yeah, so your your network, your ability to network. Um, that's that's interesting. So that's what that's the biggest takeaway from your time in corporate America. OK, yeah. so now let's talk about the current businesses that you um, that you operate and things that you actually work on now. Um, leaving corporate America, what was the first thing you got into um, in that transition? So leaving corporate America, the first thing that I started was my own company, uh, 1990 Business Consulting. So 1990 Business Consulting is a full service business consulting firm. Uh, I like to say that our main competitors are a legal pocket lawyer. Right. Mm -hmm. um, the reason why I say that is because we offer the same services in a sense, but we're just better. Um, I like that. We're just better. Yeah. We're, just, we're just better. So, you know, they're more of the 800 pound gorilla in the group, as I would say, just huge conglomerate um, where I eventually want to be. But because my business is technically considered, since I'm under $10 million, a small business, mm -hmm. uh, I'm allowed to be more I'm allowed to communicate more with my with my customers so they can get me on the phone. They can talk to me, not saying they can talk to me all the time, but, you know, I offer 20 minute free consultations uh, when you schedule them. You can register your business entity, whether it's an LLC or corporation or a nonprofit with us. We do that for you. We give you your EIN number, which is your pretty much your business's social security number, as I would say. Uh, your employee identification number and we also create an operating agreement for you as well so you need all three of those documents to go into a bank open up a business bank account and go after the business credit or whatever you need another service that we do offer uh with this company is that we create business plans for you so a lot of people don't understand when they're starting a business they do need some sort of plan Right. People just start businesses without having any strategic plan for their business to grow. So they have no initiatives in a sense. I'm just going to start this business and I'm going to co-mingle funds. I'm going to take money out of my business bank account and I'm going to use that to pay all my bills and my life. And they're not even paying themselves correctly or anything like that. Right. They have no growth strategy. They have no five year forecast projections. They have no marketing plan. They did no due diligence to really see if the business that they're getting in is going to generate any income or if it's oversaturated or whatever the case may be. They just said, I'm going to start a business and I'm going to do that. What 1990 does is that we create business plans tailored to exactly your business. We do SWOT analysis. We do demographic analysis, geographic analysis to make sure that your business will be successful. Um, and then we forecast your revenue out five-year projections, right? So with that business plan, you need that business plan to go after, you know, some commercial leases or, you know, some some business loans or whatever the case may be, especially with the SBA, where they have something called the 7A loan, where in that application, they want your taxes and they want you to have a business plan. They want to see your strategic plan and also exit strategy and plan on how you're going to pay back the loan. They want to see how you're going to use the funds that they're going to give you. People don't know the SBA has been giving out money for forever. The economic injury disaster loan has been out forever. The PPP loan has been out forever. The SBA 7A loan has been out forever. We're just hearing about it because of the pandemic. But what other people don't understand is that, you know, a lot of African-Americans haven't been privy to that information. But, you know, other ethnicities 
have been privy to that information and that's how they leverage their business and leverage the capital that they get from the government to mm-hmm. grow out their businesses to these huge conglomerates. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's just a little sidebar we can get into later, but other businesses- Well, I actually have some questions based upon what you said. So in your experience, what, you, what do you think is the biggest mistake that people make when they start their business um, that may, sometimes you may have to help them get out of it? Or what is the biggest mistake? Is it commingling funds? Is it not setting up the proper structure? What do you think is the biggest mistake? Uh, not setting up the proper structure. Uh, a lot of people say, you know, I've been running my business for as a sole proprietor, right? A sole proprietor is not a business entity. An S corporation is not a business entity. An S corporation, an S corp is simply a tax designation that you get through the IRS. When you go to the secretary of state to register your actual business entity, they give you a few options. Those options are domestic limited liability, limited liability company, domestic limited liability partnership, domestic corporation, foreign limited liability partnership, foreign limited liability um, company, foreign corporation. It says nothing about uh, S corps there. Now, when when I say the difference between domestic and the difference between foreign, let me give you a good example. A domestic uh, corporation or limited LLC is when you actually are registering a business in the state that you reside in, right? So let's say Jimmy wanted to open up an LLC in in Pennsylvania. Now, Mm -hmm. when you go to the Secretary of State, you're going to choose domestic limited liability partnership. Now, let's say you came to me and you're like, Kevin, I want to go do business in New Jersey but I already have an LLC in Pennsylvania. What you would then do is you would go uh, file a foreign limited liability uh, company in New Jersey so you can go do business in New Jersey and you'll be able to open up bank accounts with New Jersey banks. So let's say I have shelf corporations. 1990 also offers shelf corporations. For those who don't know what shelf corporations are, they're age business entities. The older your business is, the more money you'll be able to get in business funding, whether you're going to a bank or whatever. Okay. So in regards to the shelf corporations that we do offer, they're Colorado-based. So everybody who purchases a Colorado-based shelf corporation and they want to you know, uh, open up a bank account in their state that they currently reside in, if it's not Colorado, they have to open up what is called a foreign entity where they register that LLC in that state. And then they'll be able to open up bank accounts or whatever the case may be. So if I was to have a Colorado LLC without a foreign entity and try to go open up a bank account in Pennsylvania, they're going to tell me I have to register the business in Pennsylvania before I do so. Ah, okay. So now with that being said, another question I have is, um, because everybody loves LLCs. Uh, I guess it's like a big thing on social media, right? But my question is, is that always the best structure or is it depending upon what business you're doing and what you're trying to create? You know, I've, I've been hearing that too, and I've been watching a lot of socialites speak on it. A bunch of CPAs also speaking on it, saying, you know, LLCs aren't always the best route to go. Honestly, some of them, some people are right, some people are wrong with it. Um, the, okay. purpose, the purpose that people do get LLCs is for limited liability protection, right? I'm about to get real mm-hmm. deep now, Jimmy. <clears throat> okay, let's go, let's go. So when you get into, when you say, okay, I'm going to get limited liability protection, so that your personal assets won't be sued, right? So let's say somebody was to sue 1990 Business Consulting. Me, Kevin Dulcy, will not be liable with that lawsuit, so none of my personal assets will be affected by it, right? That's what you learned, Mm -hmm. right? The same thing goes with corporations. It's limited liability protection. 
But what they don't tell you is that there's something called piercing the corporate veil. When you mm -hmm. pierce the corporate veil, your personal assets can be affected through that lawsuit. So if, you're, if your company, a good lawyer, if your company isn't generating any income and you get sued, they can go through the Secretary of State and find out who owns the LLC and sue the owner of the company, right? The only mm -hmm. way that your assets aren't getting sued or, or touched on is if your limited liability company, your holding company, or whatever the case may be, is an actual trust. Okay. For example, another example, everybody knows this story. So Dr. Dre uh, actually got, he got divorced and his wife made him, you know, he had to pay out $1.3 million a month in alimony to his wife, right? He had $700 million liquid um, in his bank accounts and his wife was pretty much saying like he has the money, even though I signed a prenup, like I still want my alimony, blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah. But it's like, wait, you signed a prenup. You can't get any of my money. What are you talking about? So California actually, they, they put a judgment on him that he had to pay that, pay that, pay that money. Now, if he would have had a trust and put the LLCs in that trust, mm -hmm. his wife wouldn't have been able to take anything because that trust, he isn't the, the actual, and I'm, I'm not sure if I'm using this terminology correctly, so excuse me, Jimmy, if, I, if anybody you know, comments on the video, it's not the yeah. right terminology in terms of beneficiary, right? The person who yeah. actually manages the trust. And that person yeah. who manages the trust. The, 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 the trustee, not the, no, so it's the trustee. Trustee. Yeah. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. There's a trustee who's managing that trust, right? So now you have you can say out of your mouth, I have nothing. I have no mm -hmm. money. I have no, I have no uh no no bank no businesses, nothing's in your name. Everything is in the trust name. They can't go and dig that information out of the trust. So that's what a lot of um <clears throat> a lot of billionaires. I met this billionaire, he was like, I made a hundred million dollars ten times. I came over here in the 50s in the fifties. And he was just telling us his story. We, we were in Santa Monica we was having lunch. We were in LA, we were in Beverly Hills at the time. We were having lunch and we went over to Santa Monica. But um, he was just telling a story and he owns this uh, apartment building right on Santa Monica Pier near, uh, right on Santa Monica Pier where the Fairmount Hotel is, if you're familiar with the area. So okay. you're looking at the beach, like you're looking at the yeah. Ferris. That's, prime real, that's some good real estate. That's prime real estate. And he was like, listen, these units in these buildings, it was like one, they're in a Wyoming LLC and that Wyoming LLC is in a trust. So if he got sued, if anything was to happen, he wouldn't be liable for anything. Mm -hmm. Now, those who don't know, they're like, why Wyoming LLC and he lives in California? Well, Wyoming is one of the four hidden states, right? So you have Wyoming, Nevada, Delaware. Delaware yeah. They're one of the four hitting states where you can What's the fourth one? I know the three. I knew Wyoming, Nevada, and Delaware. What's the fourth one? New Mexico. Okay, New Mexico. Okay, okay. Yeah, so it's it's four of them where your personal information you can't find through the Secretary of State, and you won't be able to obtain that information through them. So some people are like, well, I want to register my business in Delaware. <clears throat> you can't use a virtual office in Delaware. You actually have to have a physical location. Tax. Everybody wants to register their business in Delaware because of taxes and everything like that. It's so beneficial. A lot of corporations are registered in Delaware. You wouldn't even believe it. You have that's when you have to that's when you have to get a registered agent, correct? That's when you have to get an actual registered agent um at that location for you to be able to do that. <clears throat> okay. Oh man, you're giving out a lot of game right now. The one question I have though is I remember when, when the pandemic first happened, one of the mm -hmm. things I saw were people who weren't able to take advantage of a lot of the programs because they didn't have their paperwork right. Um 
So I'm pretty sure a lot of them ran to you during that time trying to get things uh, correct. But it's That's probably true. they still weren't able to access the funds because their business had to be registered in, in 2019, uh, fall 2019. So a lot of them were getting their businesses registered in January when they found out, oh my God, they're giving out 10K and they're giving out, you know, yeah. $50,000 or whatever. And the PPP, you know, a lot of people are going to jail right now because of the PPP. And it's, <laughs> It's so interesting. So there's people like, oh, my God, they're buying Lamborghinis and houses and watches or whatever the case may be. In actuality, they were allowed to do those things. They could have did anything with that money. You know, they're being crucified for it because they didn't have their paperwork in order because they didn't actually have employees and was actually paying payroll. But if that's a business expense, if you're a hedge fund manager, right, and you're mm -hmm. doing all high net worth individuals and you need a Ferrari to, to drive your clients in because all they're driving is Ferraris and Bentleys and Rolls Royces, go ahead, go make that purchase. That's a business expense. Mm -hmm. You know, this watch, this AP I got on, that's a business expense. This Rolex I got on, that's a business expense because I need to show that I'm actually managing a ton of funds and I'm making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So you want those clients to see it, but because they didn't, they, they, they weren't managing, keeping receipts, actually having um, employees, actually paying payroll. All they had to do was, oh man, I'm giving up game right now. <laughs> if they if they would have filed their business as an S corp, right? Mm -hmm. Just in terms of through the IRS, if they would have filed as an S corporation, they would have been able to pay themselves, put themselves on payroll, right? Mm -hmm. So you can pay yourself as an LLC. Right, you could take dividends from your business as an LLC, right? But mm -hmm. you pay yourself as an LLC. So what people do is they'll file as an LLC, but they'll get taxed as an S corp, so that they're able to um, go in and be able to go to paychecks and get a W, become a W two employee, and pay themselves as a CEO. Mm -hmm. they have that W two that they can give to taxes, that they can buy a house or whatever the case may be. Yeah. When you have an LLC, you're just a ten or not. Got you, got you, got you. So that's a way to get a W two as with an with an LLC. Got you. Okay, yeah. that's that's some game right there because I I, I know LLC is considered a pass through. So yep. you know, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, another question I had based upon what you said with the uh, the shelf corporations, right? Yep. Does it matter how much activity's been on it? Like, so if you have a shelf corporation to say five six years ago, does it matter? whether it's been dormant or whether there's any activity happening there? No, it doesn't because with shelf corporations, let's say you were to buy a company from somebody else, right? Because mm -hmm. typically a shelf corporation is literally what you're doing. You're buying an entity, like you're yeah. buying a business. You don't have to take, if they have any liens or any loans that they have on that EIN number, which is that tax identification number, which is your business birth certificate, right? Mm -hmm. if they have any bad liens on there. You're not buying that EIN. You're going to get registered a brand new EIN number. Okay. Now, now you're going to start building up your own credibility with banks and financial institutions, investors, or whatever the case may be. All they care about is the age of the business, right? So however old the business was, the more money you can get in funded funding. Granted, there are qualifications that you have to meet for you to be able to get that funding. One of them, which is the most important one, is that you at least need to have a 680 credit score across all three all three credit bureaus, okay. TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. That's when you'll be able to go into a bank, you'll be able to access you know, $50,000, $25,000, lines of credit, et cetera, 
um, if you meet that criteria. A lot of people are like, all right, let me buy a shelf corporation and they don't meet that actual criteria. Listen, credit is very, very important, especially if you want to grow your business out. Yeah. Credit fix. We can't stress it enough. If you are a business owner, unless you're unless you have family money and you have, you know, a hundred million dollars or a million dollars stacked away, like there's no way you can really grow your business without having great credit unless your business is just, you know, something that's an online service. Because even if you're doing something that requires inventory, like a store or something like that, a Shopify store. You need that credit to buy inventory if you don't have the cash flow already. Absolutely. Credit is definitely imperative. Um, one of the best things about this conversation, I feel like there's an there's overarch, overarching theme, which is as a community, we need to do a better job of just having our paperwork straight. Right. Right. Because a lot of times we, we 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 just don't have our paperwork straight. Right. You know, like in the pandemic showed that showed that a lot in terms of like even people that thought they had everything done the right way figured out like I haven't been doing things the right way. I don't have my taxes like. I, I, entrepreneurs, especially like I don't, they don't have tax documents, haven't filed taxes in years. Like we just have to do a better job. So I guess like, you know, um, what you're doing is needed. Like that business consulting, you already gave a lot of gems out. So for the folks watching or listening, make sure you get in contact with this brother, because, um, you know, um, even when it comes to business plans, what you talked about with the business plans and the SBA, um, that was a, a piece of information right there. That was a gem. Um, another question I have is, um, uh, registering folks is like a minority business. Um, is that something that you do or or um, help people with if they want to get registered as a minority business? That is a service that we offer. Um, a lot of people don't ask about it because they don't know about it. So there's different minority-owned businesses, right? So you have something called WeBank, which is the women um, business enterprise. Mm -hmm. You have a corporation where women-owned businesses, that's considered a minority-owned business, right? So mm -hmm. a lot of loopholes that a lot of CEOs do um, so they can get government contracts is they make uh, the woman 51% owner mm -hmm. business and they'll take 49% just so they can get those contracts and that money that isn't available to them if they was, you know, owned by a man 100%. So different minority owned businesses, Hispanic, African American, and women owned businesses. Do you know that with the multi um, diversity inclusion act, right? With mm -hmm. different is like Bank of America has one where they have to allocate at least two billion dollars to vendors of minority-owned businesses. Two wow. billion dollars. They have wow. government contracts where they're only working with minority-owned businesses. They allocated those dollars that are being untouched because people don't know about it. So when you get that information and you have that information, then you'll be able to um, access those funds with you know working with minority-owned businesses and then going from there. Yeah, you know, that's, that's why I asked the question. Someone told me that um, there's a lot of money out there for people that have their paperwork and are registered as a minority-owned business, but there's just not a lot of people registered. That that probably should be. They don't have the paperwork done, though. That's why I asked the question. So you guys will help with something like that? Yeah, so it's only like $400, guys. It's definitely worth it. Mm -hmm. um, depends on the state. So every state is definitely different just in terms of um, the whole process, in terms of interviewing and everything like that, completing mm -hmm. the application. They have a lot of um, conferences that people can go to where it's a lot of networking and things of that nature that they can mm -hmm. get other women-owned businesses, minority-owned businesses, where they can get a lot of information and resources that they didn't know was available to them. Okay. All right. That's good stuff right there. So, man, so you have your consulting company. You're helping people, like, you know, get structured and uh, do things the right way. 
Um, what is the future? What does the future look like for your business? What are some of the things that you're looking to um, either accomplish or move to in the future? So full transparency, one of my goals this year, uh, which will happen, is that we want to gross $5 million. Uh, we already mm -hmm. have our funds and everything like that. We want to get an actual physical uh, location. The reason why $5 million specifically is because I want to hire a CEO. I want to take a, a you know, a step back and actually have a CEO come in and help us so we can get to the point where we start raising capital to become a conglomerate like LegalZoom and Rocket Lawyer. Uh, for those who don't know about Rocket Lawyer, they're considered a tech company as well as LegalZoom. And 1990 is also considered a tech company because our services are all done online. Um, and we have that platform where people can come in and they can purchase or whatever the case may be. Last year, last April, uh, Legal's Rocket Lawyer, they raised $223 million for the last fundraise. So that just shows you the market that we're in with business entity registration. People are always looking to open up businesses. Even when you're a developer, when you're in real estate, for every property you get because you want to separate those liabilities, right? They're putting an LLC underneath every single property. So they're always, always, always going. Right now, just, just an example because of the pandemic, so many people got laid off that they started opening up their own businesses, right? Mm -hmm. So now the Secretary of State's in almost every state except for New Jersey and New York, they're, they're so backed up with getting business entity registrations over to you for your business to actually be registered. Just last week, I was talking, we, we're, we're, what, February 2nd? Just last week, I was talking to the Secretary of State, one of my um, connections inside the Secretary of State for Pennsylvania, um, I wasn't receiving certain LLCs back. And I'm like, you know, it typically takes anywhere from seven to 11 days in the business days in the state of Pennsylvania to get your uh, LLC back. It's been taking 21 to 27 days to get it back. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? They're like, we're so backed up. We're still on December 15th. Wow. And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, like we're getting at least 100,000 a day. The folks ain't trying to go back to work. <laughs> folks ain't trying to go back to work, but they're not trying to go back to work. They don't even have a strategy. And that's that's the worst part about it. They're starting businesses without a strategy. Um, yep. and, that, and that really, really sucks. You know, you're, yeah. you're starting a business. You could go in the red. Um, you don't you don't have the right credit. You didn't put any uh, any of the right steps in place to, to really start your business. And that's why we offer that 20 minute free consultation at 1990. So we can help you work through whatever vision that you have and to tell you, you know, if it's realistic or if it's not. And we're just that blatant with it. We're not trying to take you away from your dreams, but we want you to strategize and really make it make sense to you and make it make sense to the market. You know what yeah. I mean? I'm not saying every business isn't going to be successful. They have 30 different Chinese food stores in a, in a radius of two miles. Like it's yep. a saturated market, but some people just don't want to go to that Chinese food store. They want to go to this one because the street's cleaner or because they have better lo mang or chicken and broccoli because of that. My yeah. sister, for example, she goes to three different Chinese food stores for three different reasons. This Chinese food store, Green Garden, they, they have the best chicken and broccoli. This Chinese food store, All Staten, they have the best fried shrimp. Like, you know, it's that's, what, <laughs> oh, that's my preference. Okay. Hey, well, the market's. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, listen, I'm got to think in abundance. There's enough for everybody out there. Right, right. Everybody out there. All right. So that's 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 interesting stuff. Finding the CEO and taking a step back. That's that's powerful. Um, so throughout this journey of yours, you talked about um, you know, where you started uh thinking about going to medical school, making that transition. What would you say is the biggest hurdle that you had to overcome to get you from where you started to where you are today? So my biggest hurdle so far 
um, was just really understanding how to become an actual entrepreneur. So when I first quit uh, my job, I, of course I had money saved up. So that money saved up was actually perfect for me, but not a lot of people can, can take that leap, right? So a misconception that people have is that when you start your business, that you have to quit your job immediately. I was in, I was financially capable of quitting my job and starting my own business, right? Other people quit their job and they have no income coming in and they're just like, well, it's going to work or it's going to work. No, that's not usually how it goes. It's okay to work a nine to five and still, you know, do your side hustle and get your, your business big enough to replace your salary at your job and then go from there. My biggest hurdle was when I first started, I remember my first month I made like $500 and I was like, oh my God, what did I do? <laughs> you know, I'm making six figures. Like, yeah, yeah. It was like, whoa, like what is going on? And it's just really, really putting your head down and, and getting over that hurdle of, remember, it's not about the money. It's about the freedom, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's not, I, I don't have to ask anybody permission to go on vacation. I don't have to ask. I don't have to be up at a certain time. I choose to be up at whatever time I want to run my business, to get my day started. There isn't anybody but my back. I control me. I control my income. And that was the most important part. Um, but it was also a hurdle of just, you know, getting accustomed to, to being a different type of, from getting accustomed to being a worker to a CEO. Gotcha. Gotcha. That transition. Yeah. Um, what would you say is either one or a couple of your favorite books that is, uh, you know, that, that, that stick with you or help you along this journey as well? Oh my goodness. I got one. Okay. Malcolm Gladwell. The Outliers. The Outliers. Okay. Right? What, was it, what, was it, what was it about that book? That was a good book. I was one of my favorite books as well. I love Malcolm Gladwell, but what was it about that specific book? Um, it really just outlines and points the 10,000 hour rule, right? Mm -hmm. So you read in that book, if one of the main points of this book is that you have to put in a certain amount of work to become successful. So the reason the book is called The Outliers is because, granted, not everybody is successful. There's always mm -hmm. that 1%. Right. And it really takes a deeper dive into that one percent, whether it's athletes or the time of when you were born or the month of when you were born and how you how you like there was a there was a um, if you remember this specifically, they were talking about hockey players in there and hockey players born between this month. And this yeah, month, yeah, they were able to they were able to get into the certain league or that age group so they can really develop. Their, their, their game and those people are in, the, are in the NHL. They did the same thing with soccer players, but it's really just understanding that the hours that you put in in the 10,000 hour rule to really master your craft um, will really make you successful moving forward in life. Um, and I really understood that and I really had to put my head down and really just focus on putting in the hours to make sure that I created the best product possible. Um, 1990 isn't the best product product possible. Amazon is still not the best product possible and it's and it's a billion dollar, about to be a trillion dollar company. Um, you know, there's always new innovations. There's always new things that you can implement with your company to, to help it grow. And this book specifically keeps me on my toes um, to always know that even though I'm turning, even though it says it's for 10,000 hours take four years, you know, that four years passed. You know what I mean? It's just really just growing out your business and really just understanding and always, always, always looking to innovate. And it always, yeah, I like that. Always look to innovate. That's that's an important bar right there. Always look to innovate. You know, I, I heard people say that if you're not looking to put yourself out of business, somebody else is. Right. Right. 
Yeah. So, man, this has been a, a great talk, Kev. I really appreciate you, um, you know, sharing your story and giving us so many gems and, um, you know, uh, with our audience. I want to make sure that everybody listening or watching, I'm going to put all of his contact information, his IG, as well as his website or any, everything within the description box or the show notes. Make sure you reach out to him. And listen, we got to get our paperwork straight, right? So that's something that we got to work on to get our paperwork straight. And something else you uh, said that was really important, too, is you help people with business plans, right? Because um, I, I could tell you, I, I talk to a lot of business owners. Most of them don't have business plans, right? Yeah. They're they're winging it. Um, but with that being said, it's important to know that they can, you know, go see someone that looks just like them to get their business plan set up. So um, for everybody watching and listening, go check out uh, everything that's going on because um, – you're providing a valuable service, man. And I want to say congratulations on all your success Thank and you, much continued success too, because, you know, we want to see you get that $300 million valuation, um, you know, get to that point as well. So that, 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 that should be powerful, man. Make yeah. sure when you get the $300 million valuation, you come back though. <laughs> no, I'm always, always going to come talk game. You know, we're, we're always going to spit. We're always going to be connected. Absolutely, man. So listen, I appreciate you. Uh, we'll put all your contact information in there and that for our audience. As we always say, it's not about how much money you make. It's about how much you keep. Game elevates, and we shall see you guys on our next episode. Peace. Peace. Thanks for having me.